0: It's December, and you've been likely thinking about Christmas. I know it's going to be a somewhat different type of Christmas for us all this year. But around here at Sanctus, we have been still excited about Christmas, and we're working hard towards our Christmas sermon series. But there is still one sermon in the series, The Good Fight. You might question that, thinking, oh, didn't Pastor Joel speak about verse 18 from 2 Timothy chapter 4, and that concludes with the word, amen? Amen. That sounds like the final words of what Paul was working at saying to Timothy. At least that was what I was thinking when I saw the verses that were assigned to me from Pastor John. Open up your Bibles or navigate to 2 Timothy chapter 4. After first glance, I went to John and I questioned him and just said, John, there's just four verses and they are only a pass." Uh, a greeting that that Paul is saying to Timothy. Well, John took off his glasses and he leaned in because this is what he does when something's really important to him. He said, these God-breathed words are so significant to God. They were important to him and they're useful to us because Paul took the time to write about these nine people. Why does he mention them? What is the significance of this passage? Too many preachers will skip over this, but we need to dig deeper. Don't you just love that our main teaching pastor loves and gets excited about every word that's in the word of God? This coming Tuesday will be the final session of our church's fall online alpha. And I love that I get to be a part of that. And one of my favorite clips from the Alpha film series is this incredible story of these 33 miners who were working deep inside a mountain in Chile. They were excavating for copper, gold and other minerals and they started feeling vibrations. And then suddenly there was a massive explosion and they were trapped for 69 days. The incredible part of this story is that not one of the miners gave in to despair. They united together They focused on their survival. The men organized themselves into work shifts. And every single day they met together to pray. They rationed out the food and they were surviving on one meal a day of two cookies and a spoonful of tuna fish. And then on October 13th, 2010, all 33 of these Chilean miners that were trapped 69 days in the San Jose mine were raised to the surface of the earth. Resurrected. This group of men initially assumed that they were facing death and they decided they were better together. Wherever you happen to be, pause for a moment and consider your answer to this question. If you knew that you had no more than a few hours to live, what would emerge from within you? You may be familiar with Paul's circumstances, but for those just joining us, I'll bring you up to speed. He was sitting in a dungeon Awaiting execution. And except for a doctor named Luke, he had no one to comfort him. He was cold, hungry, lonely, probably sick, and he endured injustice without bitterness. He had been deserted at his trial by everyone, but he held no grudges. He might possibly die alone like a common criminal, and yet we find no self pity in his final words. In fact, we find no evidence of resentment, but only of gratitude and grace. Sometimes death or even the prospect of death can bring about the very best in people. So just like that group of Chilean miners staring death in the face, it forced them to push aside pettiness. It urged them to focus on what they felt was most significant. The Apostle Paul gives us an example of this admirable attitude to have when death is near. The great Apostle is making final personal arrangements. And what does he choose to focus on? People, relationships, community. That is the focus of this man's last words. Read along with me for the first part of Paul's final greeting. 2 Timothy 4, 19-21. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onesphorus. Aristus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. And it was typical in letters of that day, especially for Paul, to end by asking for greetings to be passed on. So he asks Timothy to greet three certain people for him. Then he updates Timothy about a couple of people. He requests Timothy visit him. And then Paul takes the opportunity to pass on greetings from four people to Timothy. It's people, people, people. Paul's loving fellowship with others shows us that ministry is not a solo effort, but one with many colleagues and protégés. Effective ministry is not meant to be done alone. It takes a team, Priscilla and Aquila. This married couple meant a great deal to Paul. They had been expelled from Rome in 49 AD along with other Jews and they were living in the city of Corinth. In Corinth, Paul founded a church, one that really struggled with immorality. You can read his warnings to them in first and second Corinthians. Paul was pretty discouraged when he arrived in Corinth on his second missionary journey. But that is when he met this Christian couple and God used them to encourage Paul. They showed great hospitality and invited him to live with them. Now, few things are gonna encourage a lonely traveler more than being welcomed into a loving Christian family. God's plan is community. Human beings were created for relationships, relationship with God and relationship with others. Doing life together, that's biblical community. Now they didn't only live together, they worked together. Paul was a tent maker. That literally means he actually made tents out of leather to support his personal witnessing and his teaching. Priscilla and Aquila were also successful business owners and they were tent makers too. That term is still used today for Christians who work a paid job with the hope that it's going to open up doors for them to do Christian ministry. Ruth Siemens was a 20th century tent maker. She felt so passionately about this. She said that the international job market was an argument for tent making because it does not exist by accident, but by God's design. She describes it as God's repopulation program. Transferring millions of hard-to-reach people from freer countries and opening doors for Christians to the hard-to-enter countries, all so that more people will hear the gospel. I know of Christians from Sanctus who took specific jobs, moved into difficult areas, mostly inner city, so that they can witness in those places. That's where the term tentmaker comes from. It was the actual profession of Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. So they lived together, worked together, and did ministry together. Paul appreciated them so much that in a different letter written to the Church of Rome, he wrote Romans sixteen four they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Every time this couple is mentioned in scripture, the two are always mentioned together. However, the order of their names is really interesting. In 1 Corinthians 16 19, Aquila is mentioned first, as would be expected. It was unusual in those times for a woman to be mentioned before her husband. And yet, here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and also in the Romans 16:3 passage, Paul mentions Priscilla's name first. When Luke wrote Acts 18:2, he also mentions Priscilla's name first. Now it's possible that Priscilla was more prominent in their ministry. Today, when I sign a formal letter from my husband and I, I write his name first. It's a simple gesture to show respect to him. But if I'm writing a personal card or a message to someone that I have the personal connection with, I'll likely sign my name first. I don't actually know what prompted Paul and Luke to write Priscilla's name first, but I'm glad they did. I find it encouraging because some people think that Paul was not supportive of women in ministry. But this greeting, it shows that he appreciated this couple and their involvement in ministry, and specifically Priscilla. Let's look for a moment at something else that they did that was significant to Paul. Priscilla and Aquila were missionaries among the Jews even before they had encountered Paul. He lived with them then in Corinth for over a year, and that's also where Timothy met up with them. Acts 18 tells us that they traveled together to Ephesus, which is modern Turkey. And Paul continued on in his travels, but Priscilla and Aquila, they settled in Ephesus. Now Acts 18 verses 24 to 26 tells us, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus, He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Apollos was a follower of Jesus. And he was teaching about Jesus with enthusiasm and fervency, it says. And he knew about the baptism that John the Baptist spoke of. But he didn't actually know that Jesus Christ says you need to be baptized in the Spirit. Acts 2, 38 says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and so that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit baptism, it follows faith. It's an outward act indicating what has actually happened internally. And there's a baptism service that's going to be happening in a couple of weeks. And I am so excited about each of the people who are going to be dunked. You're not going to want to miss this service. This couple, Priscilla and Aquila, they listened to Apollos. They were greatly impressed, but they realized there were some gaps in Apollos' knowledge They knew that they could improve it. And they give us this example of how we could correct a teacher's knowledge. Their approach is so good. Priscilla and Aquila invite Apollos over. They use their hospitality gifting and they have a chat. Now, unfortunately, some people are so uncomfortable with personal encounters that they instead will write letters or, far worse, resort to Public denouncing, they'll turn to the vlogs or to the blogging or to using Twitter rather than talking privately with the person. Now I love the principle that they model for us here. Priscilla and Aquila, they recruit Apollos to Paul's team. And then they send him on his way with their endorsement. Paul mentions Apollos in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, 4 and 16. Apollos played a significant role in the growth of the early church and Paul speaks of him as watering the seed that he himself had sown. He considers Apollos a co-worker in ministry and he appreciated Priscilla and Aquila's effort to ensure that Apollos' doctrine was sound. See ministry isn't a lone ranger effort. Paul the apostle didn't go it alone. He was the leader and he selected well-trained individuals and then he empowered them. That lightened his load. That brought him peace and gratefulness through to his last days. Paul asked Timothy to greet Priscilla and Aquila for him because he remembers their hospitality. He was grateful for their courage and all that they had sacrificed for the gospel. The next person that Paul mentions, we remember from a sermon a few weeks ago. 2 Timothy 4.19, greet the household of Onesiphorus. The name Onesiphorus means useful. Recall Paul's words in 2 Timothy 1.16 and 18. Onesiphorus often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Anisiphorus was a follower of Jesus. He was not one of the 12 disciples, but he was one of the 70 that were chosen and sent out to preach. And he became a bishop in Corinth. It's interesting that Paul asks Timothy to greet his household and not the man himself. It is possible that everyone in that household was such an encouragement to Paul that he just wanted to greet everyone. But some scholars assume that because Paul is talking in the past tense, Onesiphorus had already died by this point. But what we can learn from that one, this one verse is that Priscilla, Aquila, and Onesiphorus were all a part of Paul's team. God's plan for us is worked out in biblical community. Paul continues writing by giving an update to Timothy about another couple of members of the ministry team. Verse 20. Aristus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimius sick in Miletus. Now, Aristus had been a ministry partner with Timothy. Acts 19.22 says, Paul sent the two of them ahead of them to pre- prepare Macedonia for his visit after Ephesus. Acts 21.29 tells us Trophimius had also traveled with Paul after one of his previous times in prison. Now, this verse tells us that Trophimius was sick. And his sickness was not a result of persecution. He was physically ill. One of God's names in scripture is healer. And yet we see from this verse that there are times that in God's sovereignty, he does not heal this side of heaven. Trephimius had to deal with an illness And it was apparently impacting him and interfering to some degree with his ability to continue on in Christian ministry. Do you notice how graceful Paul is being in this very short verse? Now he could have bitterly sneered. Why is it that they're safe and I'm stuck in this dangerous place? Instead, Paul delighted in their safety. Now, these two are included in the greeting because maybe Timothy was unaware of where they were and Paul just wanted to update them. He likely wasn't hoping that Timothy was going to stop and visit them on his way because he says, verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. There's urgency in Paul's tone as he repeats what he requested earlier in the chapter in verse 13 when he asked Timothy to bring him his coat. This detail of knowing that winter is coming, it helps us understand why Paul wants his coat. It's soon going to be cold. Paul may have been writing during the summertime uh, because he was thinking about how long it would take for his letter to get to Timothy and then for Timothy to begin travel to him. If Timothy was going to travel along one of the usual routes, more than likely across Asia Minor, he had to go across the Aegean, Aegean Sea, across Macedonia, and then finally across the Adriatic Sea. And if any of those waters were closed at all because of the winter weather, Paul knew that if Timothy got delayed, he'd likely never see him. This whole process of relying on a letter carrier to deliver a message is really foreign to us because we're used to uh, prime one-day delivery or instant messaging. When I send a message to one of our global partners on the other side of the world, I usually get a reply within a day, possibly even within the hour technology has made our we, our world feel so small paul didn't have that luxury and it's good that these details are in scripture because they make it possible for us to really understand paul's situation to empathize with his feelings they just bring his story to life as a teenager i remember telling one of my youth leaders that there were just too many details in scripture too many boring parts, and all those numbers of how many people were where, I can still hear his reply. And scripture is alive, and every part of it is worth getting excited about. And people were counted because people count. Now it took me some time to appreciate his passion, to understand that these details and the people listed in passages like ours today actually prove the authenticity of other passages? Well, some have expressed doubt that a verse like this should be a part of inspired scripture. Yet this material is really important. It sets the scene, the context in which the letter was written. Actually, it probably wouldn't have been a bad idea to read these verses at the very beginning of this entire sermon series. Because Paul's thinking as he wrote all four chapters of 2 Timothy is affected by what was happening to him through the influence of these people. It's helpful for us to let Paul the apostle be Paul the man. The personal greetings that Paul includes in his letters help us grasp how God inspired the authors of scripture. It shows us they were free to write whatever they wanted as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These verses, they illustrate for us the historical particularity in which God speaks to us, revealing himself and his plans. This is the form that he thought it best to write. God, in his wisdom, didn't just hand down a list of commandments or proverbs or rules for living, although that is in scripture. It's also a story. It's his story. God was in the world, saving us through the history of Israel and then through Jesus. So the Bible recounts that. It explains these actions of God. The benefits of God inspiring the word like this are enormous. It gives us the context by which we can understand what the Bible says. The Bible is its own interpreter. Unlike some other sacred texts, The Bible does not need an external interpreter. By contrast, the Quran, for example, is a series of statements without any historical context or particulars. And you need the Hadith in order to identify the context. The Bible has its own context built into it. Verses that give context reassure us that the Bible is a reliable document, accurately recorded and transmitted throughout history from God to us. Matt Slick, the president and founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, CARM.org, he said it well when he said, if we believe what's contained in the Bible, then we should believe in the Bible. The Bible claims to be the word of God. If it is, then we should believe it. If it isn't, then we shouldn't. Paul continues, verse 21, mentioning more people, Eubulus sends you greetings, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Now, it can be interesting to look at the biographical sketch of any person in the Bible, but as history would have it, some people are more significant and they're mentioned more frequently than others. And church historians have focused on public figures like pastors and teachers and and great leaders, the prominent figures. And yet, There are multitudes of others whose stories are important to God and to the progress of Christianity, but we don't have information on everyone. The thing I suggest we note is that Paul is modeling for us how comfortable he is with sharing the spotlight with others. He took the opportunity to recognize these individuals. They likely were more behind the scenes. And he knew their work is just as important as his own efforts. That's why Paul also wrote 1 Corinthians 12, 19 to 26. I love how the message says it. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine eye telling hand, get lost, I don't need you, or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you're concerned with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honor just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church, every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see and the parts we don't. Paul, he was impacted by these verses, these people that he lists in verse 21. Now, unfortunately, I don't know anything more about them. Only God knows what they did to support Paul and Timothy and their ministry efforts. But I read these names and I think about people in my own life, people who prayed for me, my parents my grandparents, youth leaders who encouraged me to serve in the church, Bible college professors who gave me counsel when I considered full-time ministry. We can all likely think of people who we are spiritually indebted, so who were, their spiritual encouragement is something that we are indebted to. Now, actually, I might even forget some of the names, some of the conversations, that brought me to where I am now, but God, he knows the number of people and he knows their names. God knows your name and what you're doing for his kingdom. The question I'm prompted to ask is, is that enough? Is his recognition enough? Our efforts sometimes go unnoticed and we may feel unappreciated. God, is your primary audience. Do you value the appreciation of that audience of one, or are you working for the recognition of others? Now I do believe that we should celebrate people, people who've given their time and their help and their ideas, their energy, their, their money, their wisdom all towards God's work. And yet all I'm saying is that if you haven't been celebrated for your serving, rest assured, it isn't unseen by the one whose opinion matters the most. Paul concludes his greeting with 2 Timothy 4, 22. May the Lord be with your spirit and may his grace be with all of you. The closing benediction, it's in two parts. The first part is directed personally to Timothy and part two is directed to all Christians generally. The first part, may the Lord be with your spirit. This week, while I was researching, I I learned that in a Catholic mass, when the priest says, the Lord be with you, the congregation replies, and with your spirit. The congregation is saying, we acknowledge the spirit of Christ in your spirit. Essentially, they're saying God personally ministers through the priest in a way that's unique and different from how he ministers through a non-ordained person. And that's why only a bishop, a priest, or a deacon can say the greeting, the Lord be with you during a mass. I didn't grow up Catholic, so I found that really interesting. And I assume that's why some people don't read scripture, because they believe that only the priest can interpret it for them. If you've been following along with this sermon series, you know that the word of God is for any and everyone. And it is supposed to be something we read, we meditate on, we study, and we memorize. Now, Paul says these words to Timothy. Timothy was not a bishop. He was actually a pastor in training, so to speak. Some scholars don't think he had the title pastor yet. Yes, he was a representative of Paul. And Paul says to him, may the Lord be with your spirit. It is a beautiful blessing indeed, but it's more than that though. So let's not read it too quickly. What's the importance of that line? God created humans with a spirit. We have our own spirit, but God is not in our spirit from birth. We're separated from God because of our sinfulness. How many times have you tried to fight the good fight on willpower alone? All of what Paul models and what he teaches and what he expects from Timothy is too difficult on their own strength. The power to change isn't found within us. The spirit of the living God is our power to change. And we all can have access to his spirit because by God's grace, he sent his son, Jesus. Christ died on the cross and he paid the price for our wrong behavior. Jesus conquered death when he rose up from that grave. And the moment that an individual believes and trusts in Jesus' sacrifice on their behalf, the moment they confess with their mouth that he is their Lord, now that is when the Holy Spirit will enter their spirit. In that moment, you become a new creation. You start a new life, regenerated by the indwelling spirit of the living God. Paul wrote Romans eight sixteen. the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. His Spirit assures us we're part of the family of God. We receive a newfound sense of family and unity, a new power to follow Christ. The Holy Spirit not only transforms our character, but gives us the ability to be a blessing to others as well. His Spirit... Makes it possible for us to live righteously with others. Do you want God's Spirit to be in you? Invite Him to fill you afresh today. Pray simply, Come, Holy Spirit, come. As this letter, to Timothy began with a prayer for Timothy to receive grace from God. It also finishes by wishing grace, not only to him, but to all who read it. Timothy and all God's people, we need the grace or the favor of God as we live for Christ in these last days. In him is the salvation of the world. We will face opposition to God and to the gospel, but by God's grace, you will not step away from your commitment to the word of God. Fight this good fight. Having confidence that God's power, God's love, and God's self-control is graciously given to you. We come to the end of 2 Timothy and from the final four verses, we're reminded of these things. One, ministry isn't a Lone Ranger effort. Paul the Apostle didn't go it alone. God's plan is biblical community. George O'Carroll, the author of Radical Hospitality, wrote, the vast majority of people need, first of all, someone to listen to them, someone to love them, and something to feel a part of. We're better together. Well, I don't actually think much has changed in that regard since Paul wrote this because the World Economic Forum released a graphic recently that lists the world's most influential val- values. Values. Of 500,000 surveys in 152 languages, four of the top five values that drive human behavior have to do with people. We value family, relationships, belonging, and community. And yet so many individuals are suffering from extreme loneliness. This is something we must address. And with the Holy Spirit guiding you, and leading you, you can make a great impact in the lives of others. Now, not everyone's home has a full living space for someone to move in for a period of time, but in light of Priscilla and Aquila's open home model, what is God asking of you to do? Sure, we need to adhere to government guidelines and during these unique times for the safety of others, We wear masks and we keep some physical distance between one another. Now, biblical community may look different than it did a year ago, but that doesn't mean it's any less important. You may feel like meeting virtually for Connect Group is not easy. Or visiting with a friend while wearing a mask is uncomfortable. But let's not give up. Let's keep meeting together if you're not in a group, I urge you to join a connect group in the new year. Doing life together in this season, it takes effort, but the benefits of uniting with one another is worth it. Paul was in a prison cell and the thing, one of the things that kept him going was thinking about community. When we open up our, our homes or our hearts to people in need, We do it for Jesus. He said, Matthew 25, 35 to 36, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And when I was sick, you looked after me. Number two, God's word tells and confirms his story. Each of the people that are mentioned And the context of this last section support the accuracy of scripture. It gives us understanding in who and what was important to the apostle. It gives us context in understanding all the rest of the words that he was inspired to write. Are there any parts of scripture that you previously felt were useless? It's time to read them again with fresh eyes. Number three. God knows your name and what you're doing for his name's sake. Seek the recognition that comes from the Lord God and you'll live with the same kind of peace that Paul exhibits in his final days. May Paul's concluding words resonate through your life and give you peace when you approach death. Grace be with you. Grace to accept the life you are given. Grace to face the death that awaits you. Grace in your response towards people. Grace for those ministering to you. Grace for those who harm you. Grace to bear the worst in anticipation of God's best. Grace be with you. Thank you so very much for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you next week when we begin to celebrate Christmas.